0: fine. What up, 84020? That's straight for zip code, by the way, if you didn't know that. And my wife did not eat a lot. She's pregnant. Really? I know. Shocker. With our first son, little Lucas, so we're pretty excited. May or may not have named him after a Star Wars character. Maybe just a little bit was part of that a little bit. Well, it's good to be home. Yeah? Yeah. That's right. It's been over a year since I've been to a service in Draper, so it's been awesome. I think 4 years to the day I sat in the back row. I think and I was I was what you would call a prodigal son, saved early and left the church and was very directionless. And it's kind of surreal being up here now talking to you guys after thinking about that this week. So you never know that back row four years from now, I'm telling you, never thought about it, it's awesome. So baptism, what is it? Why do we do it, right? And before I go into that too, I feel like I should give a little spiel about American Fork, just my, my one or two minute pitch. Um, the only way to express Utah County is somewhat of a dry wheat field. It is ready for fire and explosion, is really all I can say. When you talk to people, everyone is just yearning for God, yearning for this this relationship. And I like to explain it as something of a, of a combustion, of a almost like a dry field just ready for ignition, right? And... And you can see it, you can see it in the people, you can see it in how the the body is growing, and you see all of these new churches that are coming in, and God is preparing for something pretty wild. So I I just ask you to pray continuously about Utah County and us and our our work down there, because you're going to see a harvest. It's going to happen. We're already starting to see it. I think uh, this time last year we were around 10 people, and we're usually right around 50 every week. So yeah, pretty awesome. All glory be to God, because I just get to sit back and watch. It's pretty fun. Awesome. So there's two things I want to look at, um, and then we'll pray, but I want to give you the the pre-log here into, into what we're looking at. You know, baptism is something that you hear a lot of. You hear a lot about it. The term is thrown out a lot, and, and it can be taken a legalistic type of form, and whenever you're dealing with uh, any kind of legalism, you want to you wanna view two, two ways. You want to look at the what and the why. Legalism looks at the what, but doesn't ask the why, right? So you're just doing stuff, but you don't really understand why you're doing it. So we're just going to look at the what is baptism and why is baptism today and why it's so important and to make sure it's clarified. I want to really just dig into the very basics of it. I think it's important just to, to not look at it too in-depthly, but just look at the, what is it and why we do it? Because I think that's important because of this word, it's thrown out a lot, right? Some of us may not even know what baptism is. You may be so entangled by what other people have taught you or what other people have said that you don't really understand it anymore. So we're going to look at that. But before we do, let's pray. Father, I just uh, thank you for the opportunity and privilege to serve you. It is always mind-blowing that you would choose someone like us to, to serve you and, and be able to speak to you and have a relationship with you, that you would come down and, and rescue us. Lord, even we were so undeserved. All we did was, you know, mess it up, and you came down and redeemed us. Lord, I just pray that you guide my words today. That you open our hearts and open our eyes to what you have to say. And Lord, I thank you that you are a good God. A God who is in total control. That's never lost control for a minute. And that you are continuing to drive forward your gospel. Advancing your gospel in any form. Through us, your instruments, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you use us. That you take this, this teaching, this concept, this principle and use it this week, that we won't just be Sunday Christians where you come in and you hear a word and you leave and, and don't have a way to apply it. Lord, that we will be able to walk out those doors and, and, and tell people about it this week and apply it into our lives. Lord, if, we, if you call conviction on us, Lord, I just pray that it's not something we just feel and let it go, but that we actually move it into action. That it changes us, that it transforms our mind, that it transforms our will to align perfectly with yours. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. All right. Let's do it. So, I don't know if I brought my clicker up here, so you may have to do it back there. Um, So, the first thing I want to do, I want to get a few things straight. Okay? So... Just to clarify and get everything. Oh, thank you. I had it on there. I just forgot it. We're good. <laughs> okay. So I want to get a few things straight. Baptism is not required for salvation. Okay? just wonder, That's that first point. That's the starting point. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. New Living Translation is what I'm going to be using today. That is a verse that you need to hold very close to your heart, right? Because as human nature tends to happen, we try to make things happen. We try to do things in order to say, well, God saved me, let me do this, right? In order to, for God to save me, let me do this, right? We got to get out of that mindset, and, and this is part of that faith that we're going to dive into, Two examples of that, Thief on the Cross, and then Paul on the Damascus Road is a direct parallel with Thief on the Cross, right? I preached on the Thief on the Cross in American Fork for Easter just because of that very thing, right? Thief on the Cross had no time to get baptized. If baptism was required for salvation, he would have said, guys, John, can you grab a bucket and bring it up here? We're going to pour it on this thief real quick, right? But yeah, we don't see that. Paul on the Damascus Road is the same way. He was just rocked by God. One of the, the greatest defenses of Christianity is the example of Paul, someone who persecuted the church, who has even maybe have killed Christians, and a radical transformation where he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Huge defense of the gospel. The second point is that we are not justified by baptism. Baptism. Romans 5, 1, 2 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That made right, in a lot of translations, is actually the word justified. That's what it means. You are made Right in God's sight by what? Faith. faith. By faith is how you are made right. Now, if justification by baptism was, was needed, I would have a lot of fun with this. We go to UVU a lot and we we do a lot of prayer with the UVU students down there. And if that was the case, if we could be justified by baptism, I have a great analogy for this. But I need a volunteer. Where's Pastor Ira? Is he in here? Did he run away from me? Probably. (laughs) That guy. He's probably sitting in his office. All right. I need a volunteer. I need maybe a kid who's not afraid to get a little wet. How about right here? Black jacket. Come on up. You're the next contestant on. No, I'm just kidding. What's your name? Elijah, nice to meet you. Why don't you come stand right over here for me? Okay? And you're, you're okay getting a little wet? Yeah. All right, cover your face. All right, don't peek. I don't see any water. Oh, that's good. Now, if I was justified by baptism, this is how I would probably walk around. Oh, look how yeah, he comes up. Look at this this guy okay, I'll, take I'll get them both hey we can do both of them it's okay for you. so what i would do is i'd probably just walk around uvu campus we'll do it together. okay do nice double so i would probably just walk around in the name of the holy spirit oh. and then you are baptized He's a good sport. Yeah, that was a lot of convincing to get him to do that, by the way. Good job. But that's how I would do it. If that was, I mean, honestly, I'm pretty unorthodox, but that's how I, If we were justified by baptism, I would just go around spraying people with water, right? So that's a couple of things. There's a lot of verses I could have jumped into. There's a lot of ways to look at it. But those are two I really wanted to, to put forward and the importance of why we do it. Now that doesn't mean that it's not important. Okay? That doesn't mean that we that we just that it gets lax. I think that's something that the the US church in general for sure can do. We put such an emphasis on on you know, we're saved by grace and faith, which is awesome, but we forget about the importance of baptism. Right? And so we need to look at also how it is still an important feature. One reason is it's in our marching orders. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So there we have our marching orders, right? That's what Jesus told us to do. So he said... You need to go make disciples, but you also need to be baptizing them, okay? Not in the sense of a Salvitic state, we just saw that, but then it's important. So we shouldn't take that lightly either, okay? So we're saved by grace through faith, but we also have a command to also be baptized and to baptize people. Another option is it is often preached or it's preached often. So we read about this a lot, and especially in the book of Acts. So I use Acts 2:38 an example and we're going to dive into this because it's a very misinferred or misinterpreted scripture. So Acts 2:38 says, "Peter replied, "Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." Now, if I learned one thing by being mentored by Eric Van Ree for 3 years, it's that when we see complicated scriptures, we go head forth, right? We don't dance around them. We don't avoid them. We look at them. We break them down, and we explain them. So there's a lot of teaching on Acts 2.38 that says, no, in order to be saved, in order to have the Holy Ghost, you must be baptized, right? Does everyone, did anybody hear that in their life growing up? I know I did. Nobody? Well, I'm the only one. Okay, cool. Well, this is going to be easy. But the verse is often mistranslated because of the word for, now, there's a Greek word, and if you've ever studied New Testament Greek, there's a, there's a Greek word that's a real pain in the neck. It's called, it's ice. It's basically, it basically looks like E-I-S. It has about 10 different English translations for it. That's classic Greek for you. That's why Greek is so important. That's why if you really want to study the New Testament, you have to have a little bit of Greek. Just real in-depthly, if you want to get into the real juice of it, really study some of the original languages. But the verse is often interpreted as in order. So that for, sometimes you see it as interpreted in order to have forgiveness, in order to have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have to be baptized. And that's how a lot of people interpret this verse. But that's not the context, and we're going to see why. But really it means because of. And that totally fits with the context. It totally fits with the word ice and what it refers to. You can see it because of or in view of. And that's that's how we need to interpret that for, and not because of. You can see how the legalist mentality kind of comes into that. Well, it's the what. But where's the why? And in order, in the view of, explains that why. One great analogy, and I shared this with my American Fort group, If I was to say, and I probably do do this, I probably give Ira headaches once in a while, especially with some of the stuff I say. But if he was to say, Ira, take two aspirin for your headache, that doesn't mean I'm saying take two aspirin in order to get a headache, right? He wouldn't infer it that way. I'd say take two aspirin because of your headache is the four. And that's exactly what Peter is telling us. Right? He says it's because of forgiveness and it's because of salvation. It's because if you repent that you are then baptized, that you get the Holy Ghost. Right? Everything comes before baptism is the, is the end. It's the exclamation point. So I wanted to really attack that scripture because when, you are, when you're teaching or when you're explaining baptism to people, you might get Acts 2.38 thrown at you. And if you don't understand the real context and what that word means, it can be a little confusing, so I wanted to straighten that out. And then in 1 Peter 3.21, this kind of confirms it. It says, in that water, this is referring to Noah's ark, is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body. Now, that's actually the water. So what he's saying is, you are saved through this picture of baptism, which is the, he's explaining the ark and how the... The, the corruption and all of that happened before saved Noah and his family from water. But he says it's not the dirt from the body. It's not removing. It's not the actual water that saves you. It's the response to God. And we see that response in faith from a clean conscience. It's that repentant heart that just says, I'm done. I'm sick of living for myself. It effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only way baptism is effective is because God rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. That is the whole heart behind it. And we forget about that because religion loves teaching, hey, baptism gets you closer to God. Whereas, no, Christianity, and Christianity is one of the only teachings you'll ever see that says, no, God came to man and saved us. And there's nothing you can do to get. Work your way to that. So, that's kind of my prelude. So what is baptism? We're going to look at kind of the, the overall. What is it and why we're doing it? So what is baptism? You see the word, the verb in Greek is baptizo or baptisma is the noun. Baptizo is the verb for baptism, it means to literally dip, submerge, or immerse. That's why we don't really do sprinkling, because it doesn't fit necessarily with the word of what baptism actually is. I mean, it's like soaked. You're completely immersed in what it is, and that's what they, and they see a lot in the, in some of the ancient Greek, even before biblical Greek, in the koine, you see it a lot with you know, they're cleaning pans or they're, they're dipping, um, you know, food into baskets and stuff. That's the word baptizo, baptisma. And there's a few different ways that they use that. Now, the first one I want to look at is baptism by fire, the Holy Spirit. This is, one of my, this is my favorite one. We're going to have more focus on the water, but it's really important that I first give you baptism by fire because it's the first step. It's what happens first. Matthew 3.11 says, I baptize with water. And this is John the Baptist saying this. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. That's Jesus. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Yeah. That's cool, huh? No, it's not cool? Okay. It's very cool. And so we see this this baptism by John's baptizing with water, but he says, you know what? There's going to be a time when someone, I'm not even worthy to be a slave for or to even untie his sandals, and he's going to baptize with fire. Can you imagine hearing that for the first time being like, whoa, like that's kind of scary. Like fire's hot, you shouldn't touch it, you know. That would kind of freak me out a little bit, but it's, it's about a promise that's coming soon. And then we see it in Acts 2, 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone... as Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So there we see the fulfillment. Can you imagine being in that room? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? But if you know God, you this relates to you. Because if you're saved, you've been immersed in this fire. You know exactly what I'm talking about when I say baptism by fire. You see it in a new believer strongly very very strongly new believers because that's what happens right they just ignited there's just a spark that comes out and they go wow this is what life is this is an abundant life i got to tell somebody about this you read it all about it in this book right there were 12 men and probably 500 people and then soon 3000 people that were just ignited and they they've just blazed across the world it was a it was a fire by all definitions so that's the step front that's the first one baptism by fire that's the first step that's what Mike was talking about when you're saved you can get saved anywhere you can get baptized by fire anywhere and then there's the baptism of repentance or repentance of sin this is John's baptism so Matthew 3, 1 through 2 says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So then we see a repentance of baptism. This is the, this is the one John was pro- proclaiming before Christ. Now he starts doing this because he was called in to prepare the way. And so Israel had beyond 400 years of silence before this. I 400 years of silence, and so people, he was preparing the way for people to get ready for what's about to come. He was preparing people's hearts, because all of these disciples, or most of these disciples, at least, would soon be joining Christ in his group, right? So he was preparing the way, so it's, re- it's a repentance of sin, and we see that in John's baptism. Acts 19.4 says, Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So the baptism, repentance of sin. So baptism is a part of that. It's the the public proclamation of a repentance. A turning. Repentance literally means to turn from old ways into new. We're building it up here. And again, we see Jesus at the very heart of it. And this leads me to the third point. In the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's a, a union with Christ. There's a union with Christ when this happens. In Romans 6, 3 through 6 is a great example. It says, Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised as to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Boom! Right? So joined with Christ, in jo- in joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, it's a sign of our unity. So when we get baptized, it's a sign of our unity. The fact that he died and we're buried with Christ by baptism. So we literally die to ourselves, buried with him in baptism, raised to life. It's the sign of a new beginning. That's why I named it this sermon, A New Beginning. There's my keyword. You're made new. You're made fresh. Who, needs a, who, who would like a restart? Yep, there's a few out there. Good. A Restart. So the baptized person becomes the property of the person indicated. What I mean by that is when when you are baptized in the name of something, in the authority of something, you become the property of said thing. I read that and it blew my mind because I realized, wow, I no longer live for myself. I'm no longer property of self. Myself is gone. I am now the property of the king of kings and lord of lords and master of all things. That's who I am. That's my identity. If you can get that, your whole life will change. When you find your identity not in yourself and in Christ and that the unity that you have with Christ, God, it will change your, everything in your world. It'll change how you reflect with people. It'll change the way you look at yourself. It'll change the way the world looks at you. It'll change the way you interact with people. It'll change the way you love people. And it symbolizes a spiritual unification found through salvation in Christ. A lot of you may have heard of this analogy seen as marriage. You might see baptism also... It's a form of marriage, right? Like, I'm married to Amy not because of my ring, right? If I lost my ring, it doesn't mean I'm no longer married to Amy, right? The, the ring itself does not mean I'm married. My heart belongs to Amy, right? I love Amy, just below God. Make sure I clarify that. She's not an idol, But that's how it looks, right? We are the bride. He is the bridegroom, right? A baptism is a marriage ceremony. A baptism is a way of showing this is who I belong to. This is who I serve. And what is marriage yet? A biblical marriage, but a way of serving each other. We looked at that when we went through Ephesians, right? Remember that? So baptism is a form of marriage. It's our giving up of self, And becoming union with God. Just as when we're married on earth, we give up bachelorhood and we become one flesh, unified. So, a symbol of that. So, why baptism? So we covered the what, now we're going into the why. The first step in obedience is the first one I have. So faith leads to action. Acts 18.8 says, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. The first word is believed. They had to believe before they were baptized. So, But the belief leads to action. A true belief isn't something just a concept in your, in your mind, but it, it leads you, it draws you, it runs you. When you believe in something, you can't help but walk out in that. And so what we see in the the New Testament is we see baptism being that first step in action. A lot of times you would just have a message and then the whole group would get baptized right then. Acts 8.12 says, But now the people believe Philip's message of good news and concerning the kingdom of God... In the name of Jesus Christ, as a result, many men and women were baptized. Again, believed, Philip's message. That's the gospel. So belief comes before action. You can't get action before belief. That's hollow. That's a work. That's me trying to say, I'm trying to get there through my action. Whereas when you believe, it automatically leads to action. You can't help but do something. Right? That's what James in James 2 is talking about, faith without works is dead, is the fact that you believe, right? How can you not help your brother? How can you not be charitable? How can you not be giving? How can you not have a heart for people? You can just speak the words, but you're not actually loving people. So the first step in baptism, why we do it, is it's usually a first step in faith. The first step leads into action. And then as Mike said, it's a public declaration. I like outward confession of an inward reality. Right? Salvation is an inward spiritual thing. Sometimes it can physically affect you. I think Eric used to talk about how he actually physically kind of changed when he got saved. That people would look at him and go, you're different. What is that? But that step to faith often meant death to the early church. So that outward expression, a lot of times, was putting a big target on their forehead. Do you realize that? We don't have to worry about that as much, right? I get, we get baptized today, you're most likely not going to get persecuted with martyrdom after this. I hope not. But with the early church, that's exactly what they had to deal with. Everyone in the city knew who the Christians were because they'd be outside getting baptized. Everybody's like, who are these people? Oh, they're Christians. They eat like Jesus' flesh and blood. They're cannibals. Right, that was kind of the thought. Right, so a lot of times that step out in faith, your next step was union with Christ in heaven because a lot of times these, these guys were martyred. And you see that written all over the New Testament. It's, I mean, John was the only one that lived to a ripe old age, to use Old Testament terminology, ripe old age. Right, the rest were killed. You think that they went because they they didn't see Jesus' resurrection? No, they saw Christ after he had died. And they're like, like, we know it's true. We saw him. So I think that, that important part we miss a little bit in the church today because we have such freedom. We miss that aspect. You know, publicly showing yourself as a follower of Christ, often in death, So what are you willing to give up? It's part of that buried with Christ and risen to life. What are you willing to give up for Christ? Are you willing to give up your life? Because that's what he's asking. He's like, come to me. I will give you new life. I will give you new purpose. I will give you a fresh start. And that baptism is a symbol of that. Christ said, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. I don't know about you, but I want to give up my life every day so that Christ can fill me with his so I can find my life. It's reverse. The world says you have to go find it. Go, go, go find purpose. But God says, no, give up yourself and I'll give you Purpose. It wasn't until I started serving and started loving people it was when I started to find my purpose, when God gave me purpose. Say yes to serving God every day, any way possible. Stop saying no and thinking about, well, it's going to get in the way of this and this and this, and just serve him. And doing that, your whole life will change, and you will be transformed, and you'll find life. And then we start a new journey. A new beginning. When Christ was baptized, his ministry launched after this point. Now, he didn't need a repentance baptism. Even John was like, what are you doing here? You should be baptizing me. He says, no. I want this to be shown as a start. You give your life to me you Step out in faith in baptism, and that gives you a new beginning. Right from baptism, he goes right into temptation, right into his his three year ministry on earth. And a lot of times, when you're coming to Christ for the first time, you're getting baptized. You've got a big target on your head spiritually as well, because the devil's going to come after you. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. And Jesus is a reflection of that. He goes, he goes in the, into the wilderness to get tempted because he knew. That's gonna how it's gonna be when a baby Christian. When someone who just comes to faith, and that's why God gives you that fire, I think, because you're just like, nothing's gonna get in my way. Right? So he loses his life. He who loses life is spent serving God and serving his people. So you want a new start. Stop looking inward. And start looking outward. Stop looking inward. And start looking outward. You want a fresh start? You want a new beginning? Go. Live a lifestyle of Christianity. Don't worry about ministry or being a problem of program. Go. Just be involved. Be a part of things Learn what God's doing and join him. Have that relationship with him. Baptism is the first step in faith which sets the stage for a new life. And that first step will lead to more steps and more steps and more steps. And you'll find yourself faith growing and building. And you're going to look back in four years and go, whoa, what did God do? I was a prodigal son. I had completely walked away by the very definition of it. I knew Christ at a young age, but just because, and I think God did that. I like to think that God gave me that early salvation when I was a kid so that I knew what I was missing when I came back. When I came back and was like, oh, I missed you. And some of you might be there. Some of you might be prodigals like I was. What are you waiting for? Church, what are we waiting for? We live in a world that's dying. People around us every day are dying. What are we waiting for? This state is a wheat field ready to blow. The harvest is so ripe. But who's going to be the spark? If not you, then who? God has put you here for a purpose. The very time frame that you sit was preordained before the foundation of the earth for you to do something. For you to reach out. For you to love somebody. For you to know God. And to be an example of that. That every day you get to wake up and be like Christ. Literally what it means to be a Christian, little Christ. Christ. You get to be that. And yet sometimes we're so afraid of stepping out. We're so afraid of what it's going to look like or what people are going to think about us. Why are we afraid of that? Who cares? We serve a God of the universe, Right? So I ask, what are you waiting for? There's no good answer to that. That's not, I'm ready to go. Who's ready to go? Come on, who's ready to go, church? A new beginning. You want a new beginning? It starts with coming to Christ. Taking, faith, taking that first step in Faith. And then going. You know, there's two types of people I want to end with. There's the people who don't know Christ. Perhaps you're a visitor. You're like me four years ago. You just show up and you're sitting in the back row not sure what to do. And you don't talk to anybody. That's the person I want to talk to first. If you don't know Christ, what are you waiting for? He's drawing you. I like to say he's romancing you. He's saying, come. I will give you abundance. I will give you a life for a future and a hope. Stop looking into this world and come to me. That's what he says. And then there's the Christians who, by definition, are lukewarm. You're Sunday Christians. I was one of those for a long time. You hear a good message and you leave, but there's no application. There's no sharing. What are you waiting for? Time is running out. You're not getting any younger and there's no promise for tomorrow. Right? We are not promised tomorrow, so what are we doing? What are you waiting for today? Take that step. See how God provides every step of the way. And you will see this state blown away. We talk about it a lot, right? We talk about this state being revived. We love talking about it. But who wants to be the change? Yes. Amen. So if you're one that has doesn't know Christ, I just want to take a minute and give you a chance to respond. right? So can we just bow our heads for a second? And if you don't know Christ, but you want that relationship with him, he's drawing you, he's romancing you. I just want to agree with you. We have a number you can actually text, which will give you an ability to talk to somebody because we're more than just leading somebody to Christ. We want to be disciple makers, We want to walk with you. We want to raise you up. We want to encourage you. There's so much more to the walk than just accepting. You also have the walk. You have to be able to learn how to walk before you can run. We want that. So if you are one that doesn't know Christ and you want that relationship, you want that fulfillment, you want everything that he offers, and the only thing in this world that can give you fulfillment is him, just raise your hand. I just want to agree with you. Now for the other group, the lukewarms. Perhaps you're sick, sick of not being on fire. You want that lifestyle. Today's the day that you decide, you know what, I'm done living for myself. I'm done being a lukewarm or just a Sunday Christian. I want to live a lifestyle where every day I wake up and I'm blown away that I get to know the King of Kings. And I get to walk in love every day. Father, you are good. You are the only thing that gives us fulfillment. You are the one that allows us to know you. You give us the faith. You give us the grace. You give us everything we need to come to you. Thank you, Lord, for what you did on that cross. Thank you that by your blood we are clean. That it's not by our righteousness, but your righteousness, that we are seen clean. Lord, I just pray for this body. Lord, I pray that a fire will ignite in this church. That this body will just leave here completely on fire for you that they will go out into this world this week and preach your gospel. They will share with people who intimidate them. They will share with people who they may be afraid to share with because they come in the name of Jesus Christ who has all authority. The boldness that, we, that comes from you is unstoppable. Thank you, God, for the privilege of serving you that we can wake up every morning and know that nothing can snatch us from your hand, that we can know that we have eternal life in you, and we don't have to think about, well, maybe I lost it this morning. You can't. You can't lose what you didn't earn. It is a gift. God loves you. God loves us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Go love somebody, because God loves you. Have a good day.